that work better to introduce Excellent. that way? From now on, the jingle starts us off. <laughs> it seems it seems yeah. obvious. Uh, Andre and I did it by mistake the other day, but now it just seems so obvious that we should have been doing it that way the whole time. Seems right. Just feels right. It feels right. It's kind of like a podcast prayer. You know, yeah. it's like beginning in <laughs> prayer. It's not quite. I think you know, if they see our faces first, they might be put off. But if they hear the music first, they'll definitely carry that's on. That's it. That's it. First impressions. <laughs> first impressions are everything. Yeah. Man, so so good to be with you guys. We have uh, all finished our preach or finished our church. It's sort of either Monday or Sunday night or wherever you guys are. Uh, Sunday afternoon for you, Chris, right? Yes. Wow. So we got the full range here. It's a. Uh, it's uh, all the way on Monday. It's quite late. It's Monday afternoon for us, and. Um, and so, yeah, we, we let's start the week or, uh, you know, get straight into it by podcasting. We got all of us together, which is first um, time, first time, I think. This is, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of a celebration on its own, right? Isn't it? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Totally. Absolutely. Man, it's been a while. We've been going at this thing for about a year now, uh, a little over a year, a little over a year. So, you know, it's good that you guys finally meet like this. um so and and to um you know andre has uh andre's become the star of the show um he gets the fan mail he gets all the compliments everyone loves him for some reason i I think i'm just the most approachable out of all of us you guys are a bit scary you guys get fan mail no no (laughs) no no I, we don't. That's the Andre gets it on our behalf. Everyone decides oh, okay. to send it to Andre. People, people in my church love Andre. Yeah, it's, oh. it's so, you have a very loving church. They're very gracious, Nick. <laughs> so uh, Andre got some mail the other day um, from a listener, right? Yeah, and um, I, th- I thought it was a good, a good, uh, you know, a couple of things. It's it's sort of on all of our vibes anyway. It's one of the things that we talk about one way or another often. It's one of the things we could maybe, you know, we could at certain points be beating a dead horse, but it is, it is, you know, what the podcast is largely about. We want clarity on the gospel issues. We want to relate all elements of our theology to justification, to those uh, aspects of covenant theology that just lead to clarity in the gospel, um, especially in light of the fact there's so much confusion and waywardness on these points. Um, so it does make sense to just go over it, and especially if we approach it from a slightly different angle by way of questions. Um, I don't think maybe one or two of us have dealt with uh, eschatology, last judgment. I think we looked at Fesco's article, Nick, uh, at, at one yeah. point. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if, if anyone's listening has ever seen that. I mean, that was quite a while ago from my memory. But that was a great article. I think that'll feature in what we're going to be talking about today. But you got the question in front of you there, Andrew? I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to read it out? Yeah, go for it. So, shout out to Jeremy who asked this question. I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, final judgment: what is getting judged at the end of the ages? Sinners, evil deeds, deeds written in the books of Revelation, believers' good works, evidences of saving grace, all that stuff. So, how does that come into it? At the final judgment uh, what are christians trusting in on that day are we trusting that we're in christ and thus free from condemnation or that our good works were sufficient evidence of that saving grace so you can guess where this is going how does the teaching of mark jones and john pipers and others apparently f federal vision teaches it to create a twofold justification and is that biblical so basically it's assurance on the final day of judgment mm. that seems to be the key theme here yeah. But it, with some interaction with Piper's view, <clears throat> I don't know much about Mark Jones' particular view on on end times, 
and mm-hmm. uh, twofold justification. But I know that that's what Piper teaches. Um, yeah. yeah, and so I, uh, with also some interaction with the whole thing in Revelation, you got the 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 books. Yes, I was about know, to say that. People yeah. judged according to what they have done, and so that's that's uh, some interaction with that text, some interaction with Piper. But basically, what's our assurance on the final day of judgment? Is the question. Right. Well, you know, coming to uh, the book of Revelation, um, you know, just thinking about that, you've got this text that just screams at me every time. Um, I saw the dead, great and small, this is Revelation 20, 12, uh, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And, you know, I just find that so helpful um, because you've got, You've got a sense, uh, you know, and obviously you're going to have a whole bunch. It's, it's a book of Revelation. You don't want to pin too much on that. You want to make sure you're landing there rather than, uh, you know, letting that carry all the weight of your understanding. But if we're right, that seems to work well in that you are you are not judged according to that those things that will condemn you, but according to that which um, is written in the book of life. Uh, that which you know you're engrafting into Christ, and ultimately the reality of your justification is you stand before Him, uh, you know, with that imputed righteousness. So <clears throat> I think uh, I think we'd all agree that that's kind of where we land, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Now the the issue is, of course, that you have, um, and this is this is horrifying to me personally. But as I've started to sort of just grow in understanding. Reformed theology and uh, looking back on some of the greats, it's it's not always that clear for them, and it seems almost like that's it's a much clearer thing in a Lutheran understanding, um, and 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 where the Reformed guys get muddled is they want a place for the law, in, in something way beyond evidence, um, and they want it in some way to stand uh, at the judgment to feature as as either we're judged and that's you know I'm thinking about that question. You know, are we being judged there on the basis of Christ's works or on the basis of uh, our evidence that we are in Christ? I mean, you know, that's that seems to be what it comes down to to a large extent. I don't know if anyone has any thoughts to kick us off there. Um, let me just read to you. I did a little study on the 1689 a while back, mm. and here's the, the opening paragraph that I wrote. Maybe it'll be helpful to clarify at least my own perspective. Oh well, that's good because I got my handy dandy 1689 right here. Yes, I mean, I'm looking at uh, the, uh, the chapter on the last judgment, and I just start off looking at the mechanics of the judgment saying, technically speaking, we are all already judged. Jesus says in John 3 verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, mm-hmm. but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Mm. Being born in Adam, we, are all, we already bear the guilt of his sin or under the curse of judgment pronounced upon it. And so we are born in a state of alienation and are dead men walking. Or we are Christians who have put their faith in Christ and God has justified us pronouncing his judgment day verdict over us, the judgment day verdict having been brought forward. All humans are under God's wrath in Adam or God's favor in Christ. Death will not change uh, the trajectory we are on. And the resurrection of the dead and final judgment will only repeat and reveal these legal statuses and give us rewards accordingly. Those who have been justified in Christ will have their justification repeated, their faith being revealed by their works, and will be rewarded for obedience 
uh, rendered and will dwell with God in eternal bliss. But the unbeliever will be condemned on the basis of their works and will be sent to eternal torment. Right. So, now, Chris, um, can you give us a, I don't know if you, you feel uh, ready to do this or just, you know, I'm not asking for uh, anything majorly overcomplicated here, but uh, in terms of Klein's view on, on the rewards thing, how does that work? I, I know he had some problem with that. Uh, he didn't like the idea of of, oh. of levels or degrees of reward, so to speak. Is that right? Or did I miss that? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think he would say that everything that we are uh, given in terms of um, the eternal state is 100% based on what Christ has earned for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say more if, uh, if you want to get onto other things, but I think that what he and Voss have to say about the final judgment um, is really helpful here too. Yeah, go for it. Let's let's hear it. So, I mean, when you read the Pauline eschatology by Voss, um, he's got a little diagram that talks about how the Jews would have understood the final judgment. Just that you know we're we're going along on the plane of history. The Messiah comes, final judgment, and when we get to the new Testament's perspective on that, it's not that that's completely wrong, but we see that there are two episodes to that final judgment. The first episode happens at the cross and the second and last episode happens when Christ returns. And, um, so as a, as an individual, you know, you find yourself, um, in one of those two episodes. If you are in Christ your final judgment happened at the cross, Amen. full stop. Yeah. Um, and if you are not in Christ, your final judgment awaits his, his second coming. Mm. And so there's nothing for believers in Christ to be anxious about when Christ returns. Their final judgment has already happened in Christ <clears throat> at the cross. Right. Yeah, amen. amen. I mean, it seems to be like that's... I mean, how could you be Protestant and not hold to that at some level, you know? Right. Um, but, but I suppose maybe just to complicate matters further, and this would preempt to my question, is what is the role of our works then, at, if any, at judgment? Is there any place given to what we've done or haven't done? I mean, what, what are we thinking just, at that point? Yeah. Just one thing before we move on to that yeah. is that <clears throat> just to interact with Piper at this point. Yeah. Because I agree 100%. So the end-time judgment has taken place in that <clears throat> in that um, we have been declared righteous at that end time judgment because of what Christ has done. So um, I think this is really the killer blow to Piper's dual or twofold justification. Because when he speaks about justification uh, or about a final judgment, he speaks about it as if that still needs to happen. Mm. So our work's playing a yes. part in providing the evidence for that happening. So the difficult thing with Piper is that his view of initial justification is 100% orthodox. Mm. Um, you know, it's by the book. Mm. But when you get to, but when you get to his view of final salvation, you realize that basically he separates. He makes a distinction yeah. between your first justification and your left. And I wonder if that's something to do. Apparently, he's held the view for a long time, but I wonder if it has something to do with his interaction with Federal Vision stuff and new perspective stuff, but, but the killer blow there is that this idea of final judgment, depending on anything that happens in the Christian life fails to recognize that final judgments already happened for the Christian. 
you know so so that point that you've made i think is the is the killer blow yeah. to the twofold justification view it, it just ends the discussion yeah, yeah and yeah, it's yeah. plain from passages in hebrews about being saved to the uttermost and uh, plain from uh, jesus own words about whoever believes has passed mm. from death to life mm-hmm. you know you have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into you know it's all talking about things that have happened decisively and that is the whole purpose of talking about justification is not to say justification is one thing salvation is another thing now, justification is that judgment that means that you are saved. So when you get to final judgment, um, salvation is assured. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not in question, and neither do your works play any role in, in the certainty at that point. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to bring that in there yeah, because brilliant. you wanted us to interact with Piper, and I just think that's, that's the big mistake. That's the death blow, right. Yeah, I think that's a great point that he he sounds, and that's where it gets confusing because he sounds so orthodox on um, you know his development of the classical sort of you know at the cross justification or as we uh, as we believe, um, but but it just yeah it sort of has this dual layer thing going on which which throws it all off. Well, it's why it's why many of us will be listening to Piper for years. Yeah, and not have picked it up, but didn't yeah. pick anything up until he released those. Um, sermon, that sermon series on are we really saved by faith alone and then everyone's like mm. and, and to be fair I never really read Future Grace properly I read that recently and uh, no, having read it I mean it was there. crazy I was going through the Norman Shepherd stuff and uh, and you know it's all that's pretty fresh for me I mean I wasn't around you know when that was happening or wasn't thinking about it and so just trying to trace through exactly the ins and outs of that controversy and then I, then I just got thrown into future grace and I was, it's almost indistinguishable. I was telling, uh, you know, the elders at our church, I was like, I don't really, I'm struggling to see the difference, uh, between what Piper's saying and what Norman Shepard's saying. It seems exactly the same yeah. thing. Um, and so I don't know if I've, I've still got some work to do there to figure it out, but, uh, that's kind of scary right there. And so I, you know, what, what is that about? Is that cause, uh, Piper was kind of not preaching that? I mean, he put a book out on it. I just didn't read that book. I just listened to his sermons and uh, it's kind of crazy like that. You know, I always found Piper's books a little bit all over the place and I gave up halfway whenever I tried to read them. And uh, yeah. and so, you know, I suppose you've got to read all the way to the end, guys. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in trouble, you know. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but it's, uh, you know, you mentioned also uh, his interaction with N.T. Wright. I think that's where I started to get some question marks going. Because, um, you know, he should have come out with a slam dunk on that one, you know, and, and his, um, I found his, you know, it was, it was, it just didn't go there. And then I only realized exactly what the problem was when I read Horton's response. And then I realized, wow, there's just, there's just an absolute lack of everything that you need to say about this by way of covenants and, and, um, uh, and all of that. So what's the thing that, um, that, uh, Scott Clark always says that if you have no covenant of works, you end up bringing it in to the covenant of grace. So, yeah. yeah. And that's what Piper does. He has no covenant of works, which means that his covenant of grace is a grace and works covenant. Yeah. Yeah. It'll yeah. be very worksious. Worksious. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great word. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Man, Klein pointed that out, though, didn't he, with his uh, covenant theology under attack? Oof, yeah. He got right to the bottom of that real quick in, um, in that um, article. Yeah, that language about, um, you know, you may shut the front door to works righteousness, but if you leave the back door open, you can guarantee it will come right back in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that's insane. So on that point, uh, just 
moving, uh, well, maybe even before we go there, let me see if I've, I can get to this uh, text real quick. You've got, um, I know that when you read, um, and this might not be the best example because maybe there's a contextual element here, but um, if you um, if you see the arguments for needing to include um, some sort of place for our works at the end or, or being judged by our works, it's usually <coughs> driven by, you know, the classic problem, you know, with James or, uh, uh, you know, the things that they were basically debating when it came to the, the Reformation in light of uh, the Roman Catholic system. And um, and so, th- you know, I th- it's almost like, well, we kind of sorted that out there. You know, that was that was Luther's job. He did his job. Let's all just stick to that. Um, but it seems like that's why it's a real reverse back into Rome and, and why, why we do need to freak out about that. Um, it is interesting that this develops by way of a covenant in Reformed theology, by way of a certain view of, of, of the covenant of grace. And it starts reversing um, because you have, you know, again, like what we were saying earlier, almost a, a, a neglect to see that law grace uh, or law gospel antithesis, uh, covenant of works, covenant of grace antithesis. And so, you know, everything starts becoming by grace and yet perfected by works, uh, whether it's in the garden, whether it's in the time of Moses, whether it's in the New Testament, it's all one big covenant of grace that needs works um, and really just jumps straight into the Galatians problem um, in, in my view. Um, but you have texts like this, um, Psalms, all right? Um, a, prayer of David, a prayer of David, Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. All right, we go, amen. That's the kind of thing a Puritan would pray, a Protestant would pray, uh, a Lutheran would pray. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant uh, who trusts in you. Um, yeah, so we get the trust part. You know, we would never say, I am godly. We would never do that. And I think maybe <laughs> a lot of the... Now, again, I'm well, so hesitant. I think, I, I, think, yeah. I think a Roman Catholic would. Yes, well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's the drive. They're like, we need to account for this kind of language. Rome can account for it. Um, yeah. And you obviously see it in James. Uh, we need to be. We need a. That's the drive. They need a theology that includes this sort of thing. Um, what do you think about that? How do we account for language like that? I mean, I I think one factor is that <clears throat> that I mean, okay, I, I don't know how, but but in a sense, in a sense, you know, King David was under two covenants, so. You know, he is under the covenant of grace and the covenant of the works at the same time. And that makes the Psalms interesting reading because he is, um, you know, the, the, the promise made to Abraham, that gospel promise is his. And that covenant of, of, uh, of grace is his. But at the same time, he's under the tutelage of the law. So, you know, there is a, a sense in which he can... And should, as someone under the law, say, according to my righteousness, bless me, because that is the covenant of works. But there is another sense in which you see, um, I mean, you see that you see this, I think, in Psalms. I don't know, that might even be true of that psalm, mm. because uh, that in the same psalm, he's saying, um, you know, protect me or save me because of my righteousness, but also confessing his sins. Yeah. Have you, is that, I, it might be true of that song. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, but no, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. 
it's a it's a frequent occurrence in the Psalms, and it's it's utterly perplexing because you think, well, how can you say, "Save me according to your right, to mm. my righteousness," mm. but then also say, "I'm a sinner, forgive me" in the same breath? Mm. And I think that's that's some of the the tension that you have when you're living under both Abraham and Moses at the same time. Right. It's a bit like in Hosea. Um, when it's constantly saying, that's it, I'm done with the covenant, no more covenant, the covenant's broken, there's no hope of reviving the covenant, I will never forget my covenant. You know, <laughs> like that, that sort yeah. of tension in Hosea, I think, is picking up on both of those things as well. So you've right. got, in, in Hosea, he's saying the Mosaic covenant is broken, mm. but I will never forget the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. But because it doesn't say it explicitly like that, it's very difficult to get hold of. And, and the Psalms, I think, are full of that. And that's, I think, at least one factor in this is that they were under two covenants, mm-hmm. whereas we're not. And that's mm-hmm. the difference, that you have, to, you have to bring the Psalms through into the new covenant in a way that, um, that sees all of the works righteousness of it uh, fulfilled in Christ and all of the grace of it coming to us in Christ as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got the, uh, you know, at least the way I process it, um, and I think under Kleinian rubric, I suppose, uh, which I think is a little bit different to the way that we could talk about, you know, maybe a classic Reformed or Protestant approach to just working with that language. But but basically, uh, as you've just said, you've got these two, uh, you know, layers, uh, this typological national geographic Israel under a, uh, a national blessing or cursing covenant. And uh, David is the theocratic king, you know, during a, a, a theocratic era that's really meant to uh, point us forward to, to things that uh, will ultimately be fulfilled. And so, you know, even just uh, take not your spirit from me and all that sort of stuff, you have to always process by way of who David was rather than just, you know, see a one, one-to-one uh, relation to the believer. And so I didn't see too much problem with that, you know, to be honest. I mean, it's once you've got that rubric in mind, it's it's quite easy, as you say, to just go, well, you know, this is likely a point at which David needed to call for, you know, his innocence or, uh, you know, his um, uh, as a as a sort of uh, someone much like um, um, maybe Noah or Abraham, someone who who typologically earns something that they will receive um, pointing to Christ um, and so needs to defend his innocence or godliness or whatever it is. Um, but I suppose even with that in play, I do, I must admit, feel, I mean, it's probably just because of my lack of understanding of the context in that particular psalm, but often I, I can see how if I was reading for the Bible, the Bible for the first time, for example, or, you know, deciding to be Roman Catholic or Protestant, I mean, you could see how that language would be quite forceful because it's all over the place. And, um, and it's just, it seems to be making a place for works. Um, likewise with James, you know, you've got this, you do need to do a bit of thinking on it. So what we're essentially saying is it is quite a complicated thing. And it's not, it's not an obvious as it was for them, so it is for us automatically. But the reason I don't mind saying that is because that's just, that's true. And you're not meant to read your Bible just as if there is no context and, and no theology to think about. You have to think about these things. It's just the way it is uh, to, you know, you're gonna, if you're not going to make, if you're going to um, avoid this issue, you know, you'll fall into another trap if you just read your Bible that way. So really the, the bigger question behind that is, um, what is the theology the Bible itself gives me through which to understand its own statements and how then does that relate to my life? And so if you're just taking that basic sort of approach to reading your Bible, I think uh, even though it might sound complicated, the thing that we're bringing across here, um, it's really just the result of looking carefully 
to, to the, the story of redemption and seeing how it all works. Um, I don't know if anyone has any other comments on that point. It's all been said. <laughs> I mean, I, I can tie this in with Mark Jones since his name came up in the question yeah. too. But um, I guess um, I would say that what I learned from Meredith Klein is that um, we should not begin our reading of the Old Testament by asking that, how do, you know, what does this have to do with me question? Mm. It's not an unimportant question, mm-hmm. but we need to start with, how do I find Christ in this text? And, and really wrestle with how the text is revealing Christ. Yeah. And once we've come to grips with that, then it's okay to understanding ourselves in Christ yeah. Ask that yeah. question about what does this have to do with me? But there's an order to those questions. Yeah, yeah great. And um, I've read Mark on, is it Psalm 1? You know, and yeah. or at right. least the Psalm that has to do with ascending the hill of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Mark is very willing to start with, um, yeah, this relates to me as an individual. And yes, I can ascend the hill of the Lord. Um, right. And at least in what he wrote, it had nothing to do with Christ. Um, I'm sure he would balk at that and say, well, no, I'm assuming that um, yeah. you're but in that Christ. That assumption and- will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. And what I like about that as well is we're not, we're not trying to just you know, force a Kleinian sophistication down everyone's throat by, by just making that claim. Hey, start with Jesus, because that, that's really a basic sort of idea that you'll get that from Jesus himself as he, yeah. you know, he tells you it's all about him. And so it's quite a fair thing to just say, hey, this should yeah. ultimately, or at least firstly, be talking about how, how we get to Christ from this passage, if, certainly if it's yeah. in the Old Testament. And, um, and, you know, and then to move from that, and it really Klein's providing a rubric to answer that question, which you know, I think we all find compelling. Uh, and, you know, then then you do some study, you do some research, you try and figure it out, which one do you like, you know, go for that. Uh, hopefully you find, you land on Klein's page. We'll all say amen to that. But um, the point is that one way or another, you're avoiding that whole, okay, well, therefore, there must be faith and works in my life too, because that's how, you know, and you just you just don't go down that road. Um, or at least if you do go down Mark Jones's road, you have to wrestle with it uh, in terms of what he is providing as an answer there. You know, if he's assuming it, what is the assumption? Work it through, see if it's good enough. But at least it's just, um, th- that I think states the thing nicely. It states it really clearly as well. Um, yeah. Just want to come back to maybe changing topic altogether. Mm. Coming back to the whole issue of judgment according to works. Yeah, um, just an interesting uh, verse. You know, Matthew twenty-five, the sheep and the goats. Yeah, typical judgment according to verse text. Yes, I just thought uh, throwing it in here. It's very relevant. Verse thirty-four. Just listen to the language carefully. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." So what's the difference between an inheritance and a wage? You know, the, even, even in the context of the classic proof text of a, of a, a judgment according to works, mm. the word inherit, which implies sonship, yeah. um, is the word that's being used by the Father here mm. to, to welcome people in, showing that it's, it's not teaching this necessity of good works as merit for good works uh, for salvation, um, but rather it's the principle of inheritance coming through. I think that's really important. And you have that similar thing where the guy comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, or, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, if from the get-go, you know, the, the, the question makes no sense. And Jesus pointed out, 
you know, by saying, you know, by you're saying, look, here are all the commandments. Have you done these? Leaving out the one that this guy clearly has a problem with, you know, exposing the issue with the guy. So that that whole concept of of how people kept trying to earn the inheritance, but the inheritance was was given by faith, you know, um, <clears throat> or something that, that is given to you, not something that you earn, um, is really is is key in all the gospels. And it's it's a big thing in Luke's gospel. Um, but doesn't also in in that you you read from Matthew, didn't you, Nick? Yep. So it doesn't it also say um, uh, in Matthew as it goes on, and it says, you know, who will be separated? Doesn't it talk about about uh, um, you know whoever does the least of these for my my disciples, my brethren? You've done it unto me. Yeah, so there's an implication there also that this is uh, this is something done because of faith. In other words, because they belong to Christ, I'm acting this way towards them. In other yep. words, there's an implied. There's already faith. This is the this is the James thing. This is what is what does true faith look like? Mm, it's yeah. not. Uh, it's valid. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I think it's it's easily overlooked. We just think this is about doing good for people. It's not actually. It's about if you if you if you read it carefully, it's about Christians loving each other because we belong to Christ, yeah, and right. there's a, there's a necessary implication of of justifying faith already being present at that point. It's mm, good. Yeah. Now that I suppose takes me back to you know to what level these sorts of evidences play in our judgment because I know that's another way people approach this. They're like, yeah, it's true. I mean, we're being judged based on our inclusion in Christ or imputed righteousness there. But as part of that judgment, the evidence will be considered, you know, and, and it, it, I find that to be almost the most disturbing because, you know, there you're right back to where you started. Uh, you might as well just jump headlong into Rome. Uh, what, what, what's, what's going on with that? Show me your face without your works and I will show you my face by my works. Right. I think it's so we it's all that agree that, that evidence is necessary in the Christian life, right? Yeah. And I think we do we all agree that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord is referring to that real yeah. outworking of holiness. Um but uh at the judgment I'm not, I'm not sorry, I'm I'm not sure I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know there is some squabble on that one as well. Um yeah. but I suppose, you know, one way or another, um, I think we're all on the same page that, uh, you know, that the role that that works plays to present evidence for saving faith. Yeah. We're saved by faith alone, not a faith that is alone. Classic old uh, way to put that. Um, Now, I suppose really what we're saying is, are you saying, Nick, that 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 evidence is going to be what is scrutinized at the judgment to see if we are in Christ? Um, I think... Just maybe pulling Bandrun into the discussion, mm. if you'll allow me to. Um, <laughs> what, sure what's the fine. feeling going to be on the day of judgment? Are we going to be standing there uncertain and unsure and waiting in line for our works to be evaluated and we're, we're held in suspense until we actually hear the verdict? That's not going to be the feeling on judgment day. Right. What's going to happen is you're going to be resurrected in the body that you're going to inherit for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, either one of corruption, whatever that looks like, or a glorified body like Christ. And so you're going to be standing there already glorified, already knowing which direction things are going to be going. And Judgment Day is ultimately um, going to be about God's vindication as the work that He has done in you and His good works through you are put on display for His glory. 
Yeah. So the good works are there to say, this person's going into eternity and God cannot be scrutinized or criticized for this because he has justified them. And, you know, he has done this glorious work through them. And the good works are a, a proof of his good work within us, that he is a God who is holy, who does mm -hmm. care about good works, mm -hmm. that he has not contradicted his own nature in the way in which he has saved sinners. Yeah. Um, so to my mind, that's the way it's, it, all, it all plays out. So vital to that, uh, if you don't have that, uh, almost that fresco sort of uh, link with <laughs> being already uh, in your glorified, resurrected body, that, that, that the resurrection is, in fact, the judgment at some basic level, um, that, you know, <laughs> and therefore that understanding of the feeling of Judgment Day. Um, I mean, I think to just say, no, well, you know, you're going to be judged by your evidence of being in Christ is is you know, it, it sort of leaves you on the back foot. But when yeah. you when you put it in that that gospel context, as it were, um, you know, it, it becomes a oh, okay, yeah, totally. And if it's about God, not me, Amen, even more, you know. Um, so that that's helped me so much. Um, it might even play into uh, Klein's thing. I mean, I don't know the reward. What well, what was Klein's view on the rewards thing? I mean, how does that even work with Klein? I don't. I have no idea. That's I mean, me, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> um, off the top of my head, I would I would say that he would come down squarely on their um, what Christ earned. We're uh, we're receiving rewards based on what Christ earned. But go ahead. What what uh, what gives uh, context to that question is that often often I'll hear people say, "No, well, it's not about your salvation; it's about your rewards in heaven." You know, that's what that's about. Uh, that's one of yeah. the classic sort of comebacks. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a an evangelical or dispensational thing. I don't Just know, by something. the way, I like that comeback. I okay. like that distinction. Right. right. So I don't know if I'm going to agree with all the client means. Yeah. There, so yeah. Well, that's on, why Chris. I thought it would be interesting to talk about because um, I, well, you know, ac actually yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I, I think that that is probably more the way I take it in yeah. revelation. To be uh, honest. <clears throat> which way? The, the, the Kleinian way? Or the, well, I mean, I I'm not sure I understand what Klein's, what Klein's view is. Yeah, so and, let's try and get at the bottom of it. Um, so, uh, Chris, yeah. so like, you know, does Klein believe that, uh, you know, we'll have any, like, if I think of the Apostle Paul, for example, am I going to be living in the same kind of house in heaven? Or am I going to be living <laughs> in, the, in the Apostle Paul's Mike, garden? let me shape? answer that question for you. <laughs> well, you know, this is what I'm getting at. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> you might be able to see it, you know. So, you might, might be able to see it in the distance. On another the way to put it is, you know, is Arminius, uh, Jacob Arminius, is he gonna is he gonna be living in in Kelvin's backyard, or is he gonna have a house of his own? You know, how's this <laughs> gonna work? Uh, or is it true that everyone who gets into heaven, you know, Christ is the reward, and there's no degree in that? Or uh, another way to look at it is that the degree is is in in terms of the portion, and everyone's portion is Christ. Therefore, really, there's no. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not can I add, I'm just going to add yeah. to that, you know, one is given five cities, one is given 10 yeah. cities uh, to rule yeah. over in the parables. Are those parables not indicating some reality of distinction yeah. in grace? And, and, and adding to that, you've got the judgment in 1 Corinthians 3, which is the you either are building upon the foundation with wood, hay and straw or with gold silver and precious stones mm -hmm. and it seems like the one who adds with wood hand straw is saved but gains nothing in addition to that so he still experiences all the joy of heaven mm -hmm. uh, but there seems to be some loss of what i can only imagine is is a further reward at that point whereas the one building with you know precious stones is is gaining in addition so 
But another factor there is considering the reverse, because if we reject any kind of reward in heaven, we also then, it would seem to me consistent that we reject any degree reject of the, punishment. Yeah, degrees of judgment. And I would, I would find that, that the whole biblical system of justice that is given to us, so how, you know, justice portrayed in a judgment setting, is a kind of punishment fits the crime kind of thing. So um, we know that all sin is going to lead to condemnation um, unless it's atoned for. Uh, but also I think there is a, a requirement of justice that you're not judged cruelly or unfairly. And that is portrayed for us through the old Old, Old Testament justice justice system. So I would, I would, you know, if you're going to go no no degrees of reward, you also then to be consistent have to go no degrees of judgment. And I would find that very difficult to do. But I would also see um, in the New Testament what seems to be every indication of reward. Um, so you know, going back to Revelation, I guess the way that I would take it is that you you know the books are assessing your deeds but they're assessing them without everything that has been forgiven you know so there are there are only good deeds there to reward because christ has atoned for everything else right well we yeah, have so chris so you got to fill us on the uh the Kleinian angle here <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll come along chris and i'll say you know what whatever Klein says is what i'm saying uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's just there's so much going on in my mind right now. One thing is um, what Klein has to say about um, Christ placing us beyond probation, and I think Amen. that a lot of what you're talking about in terms of when that feeling on Judgment Day, um, you know, if we if Christ has placed us beyond probation, then there's no anxiety at all um, for the Christian. That's just not a category. Um, and so that raises questions for me about how can someone be beyond probation and yet, um, somehow lesser in, uh, the eternal state. I don't know. Um, I don't know how that works, um, to maybe make things a little bit thornier. Um, we can acknowledge that each one of us has wronged other people. Um, we have wronged other Christians. And we may not have even sorted that out to the satisfaction of the other Christians that we've wronged. And so how does that look on Judgment Day? Um, I don't think it looks like know. anything. I don't think it appears. Yeah, I may I, differ with that, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't think your sins are present on the Day of Judgment. Well, here's a thought for you. And this is, uh, you know, there's a, con there's a controversial aspect to the judgment according to works. And all Christians would agree that it's more of a reward thing than a suffering thing. But uh, the sins of the Christians put on display as forgiven. Um, and the loss of things as through fire, there is the suffering of the loss. And someone even suggested, me, you know, when it says that God wipes away every tear, what are the tears from? Maybe it's, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and just to say, is there going to be absolutely no anxiety if, even the Apostle John fell down as dead in the presence of God, not just, just because of who he is, just the overwhelming aspect of his human infinity coming at us. Never mind just his, you know, just that small aspect, that one aspect of his holiness. Um, I think it's going to be an incredibly overwhelming day. And I'm not saying we're going to fear that we're going to go to hell, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> 
I, I think there's going to be a not not a not a sense of condemnation or dread, but man, we as human beings, our emotional capacity is going to be overwrought. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, it's, and I, I, yeah, I have no it's, problem it's, with. It's, 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 I, I, I don't. I don't have this picture of a nice, calm, sedate, happy feeling going on. <laughs> I think it's going to be more than happiness, <laughs> and more than dread, and more than everything I can I can experience at once. Right. Um, and uh, you know, as you're talking, there, I'm thinking of like Bible in the Future, Hukuma, and those guys um, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was it was you know that book or another one um, where they they talk almost about a final purification with fire or something like that. And it's just this, uh, you know, it, it gets very That's weird. That's purgatory, bro. We don't do purgatory. Exactly. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I remember, you know, putting that down to almost like a neo-Calvinist uh, angle, you know, in that what we were talking about earlier in that there's a fusion of grace and works at some weird level. But, um, yeah, I, I would think that in order for um, – you know, I'd probably take a different view to you there, Nick, in that, you know, yep. and, and this is why I feel like it does it does relate almost to that uh, question I asked earlier in that, you know, what are we thinking about what, how do our works play in judgment? Whether it's, whether it's, um, is, is it just a reward thing? Even there it gets thorny, you know? And, um, and that's why I, I tend to go with Klein. I haven't looked as much as I need to in this angle, but I was very fascinated to hear that he just kind of rejected the whole angle entirely and just basically said, listen, I'm not joking when I say Christ has actually done it all. And actually, you know, when we, when we uh, are resurrected or transformed um, on that day, we will, there, there won't even be the trace of fear. There won't even be the trace of, of anything to do with judgment. And, um, and if anything, it'll just be overwhelming joy and glory. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's interesting that, that we... Well, uh, can, let, let me read a few verses from the, this is from the confession, from the proof texts under the last judgment. Okay. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Uh, Paul talks about the fact that each one of us is going to have to give an account for the deeds done in the body, yeah, whether yeah. good or evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you've got Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Uh, I tell you that on the day of judgment, we will give account for every careless uh, People will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Then uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his, his commendation from God. So to my mind, there is something. Something has to be evaluated. Mm, there's some context there, man. I, I, I think the well, I'm, I'm, there's I'm really not a clear. The this is the fate of Christians' context in those verses. I think. Well, there's, there's a, I think. Well, those are the proof texts. Some of the proof texts from the confession. Um, yeah. No, I, I, um, yeah, I, I hear that, and 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 I, and I think not um, the Bible, just the confession. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the <clears throat> I think the the thing is the um, uh, <clears throat> the whole the whole thing about about those and I think the one that comes across most clearly is the kind of justification by works justification by like clearly there's some context there and there's um, the, the gospel's not being fully applied in that setting which means it's probably talking about about um, you know sort of an old covenant you know it being judged according to works in the old covenant before having you know ushered anyone into the new covenant um, I mean, I think that's a dead certainty. Otherwise, we should be Roman Catholics. But the um, the the other thing is that I, I think there's there is also some discussion about the the Sermon on the Mount 
and what Jesus actually did intend there? Is that simply, you know, the moral ethics for Christians in the kingdom? And, or is he actually at that point uh, driving home a, a conviction of sin required to drive people to Christ? And I think, you know, a more Lutheran interpretation of it. But uh, um, so, so I think that, that's a factor as well. I, I just think, um, you know, I've got no problem uh, conceive, and again, this is this is this is all sort of uh, you know the imagination, trying to be trying to be. I mean, we have none of us have really any idea of what the actual feeling is going to be like. Though I think the closest portrait that is portrayed probably comes from Hebrews 12. You know, the mountain. Uh, 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 you know, when we approach the mountain, we do not approach a mountain like the one of the old covenant, like uh, mm. like Sinai. We approach Zion, and it's interesting that you do still have a very strong concept of, of the fear of the Lord Reverence, in Hebrews yeah, 12. Yeah. But everything else is a direct contrast from fear to joy. Everything else. So you fear God himself, but there is no hint of a fear of condemnation uh, or, or judgment or shaming or anything like that. It is all joy all deep, profound joy and happiness that comes out in, in, in Hebrews 12. And so I think that if there was any text that was going to be an explicit formation of my, of my imagining of what the feeling of that day would be like, it would be Hebrews 12. Yeah. Like, I, guess... like, I think you're right to say an overwhelmed by the sheer uh, holiness and, and majesty of God and greatness of God. But at the same time, it is joyful. It's oh, something boy. to be looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. Let's, let, let me, let me, let me. This is next. I'm, I'm glad this is coming out, um, by the way, because this is our <laughs> India discussions that I was trying to reel out at Nick earlier. <laughs> I know. And I know. I was. I was <laughs> all right. All right. Um, <laughs> um, I'm fully secure in the judgment day verdict brought forward in my justification, and there is no threat to my eternal security. But there is some, the Bible does make very clear that every deed done in the body, whether good or evil, every word, every thought, every you know, purpose of the heart will be laid bare, all to the glory of God. I think none of us are going to be looking at each other's sins. We're all going to be looking at the movie of our own lives, as it were, and God's going to be getting all the glory. If we're saints, they'll all be forgiven. Um, are you sure the Bible's as clear on that as you, as you say? Well, that, that's my understanding of it. I think that there is there is... That day is, is given to Christians to sober them as well, not merely the unbeliever. Um, it is a day of joy. It will be a day of reward, but it's also going to be a day of things being tested by fire and, um, and a day of exposure. Purgatory. That's the purgatory. And I think all of those realities have to come together in the proper balance that, that we don't compromise our justification. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, th I think it's good, at least as I've ministered to, to my own heart, knowing my salvation in Christ I am looking forward to that day knowing that the Lord is going to put my pastoral calling to the test and all my secret thoughts and all my hidden actions and everything I've ever done. Um, terrifying, Nick. Absolutely terrifying. terrifying. That makes me, you know what that makes me that want to do? That is a movie I do not want to go around. <laughs> that makes me want to call a Roman Catholic priest for a holy unction at the end of my life. That's what that makes me want to do. Yeah, but we, but I you don't need that to holy because unction. Christ has already taken your judgment. But that it's doesn't mean there's... That doesn't mean there's not going to be the, you know, those, those sins can come to, to, to light fearlessly. I don't know if they, they can. They, they, I, they I can't condemn. I was going to say that. I don't know if there's going to be any fearlessly. God sees them all any. already. The Look, angels I get see that. them all already. That's terrifying. You enough. know them all already. I mean, I it's, well. 
This is what makes it so hard, Nick. This is what makes it so hard. I think the uh, the I mean, I mean the the, the I was going to make a joke about James and the actually the anointing with oil and the prayer for healing. You know, there's a good case to be made that that's not about physical healing. But I think the um, the the whole the whole issue is that. Um, I, th I, I agree that there is going to be some sort of assessment for Christians on that day. I think that much, I would say, is plain from 1 Corinthians 3, from uh, Revelation, the books of life. I think those things are assessments. But, you know, so John Piper, I was, I was trying to look it up. I couldn't find it. But again, to, to highlight the distinction here, he has this illustration that he used in his sermon on, on the books in Revelation where he talks about the kind of file of your life and all the, and he, and he equates it to being like full of exam results. Right. And, um, and the big shocker for me was in that illustration when, uh, you know, when your life is being assessed, you know, you all of your F's are still in there. So I, what, what I want to know is if that is true, what does it actually mean? Yeah. Well, that he remember your sins no more. Exactly. Mm. And if I well, can just yes, add yes, something. As far to that. as the east is from the west, that's how far yeah. he's removed your sins from right. the And also, to just, the bottom of the sea, like all that stuff. Who's well, getting the last word, Mike? Wait, wait, me, me no, first. not Mike. It's going to be. <laughs> wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just got to say this as well, because, um, you know, again, this comes right into our, our understanding of justification and our, uh, you know, exegesis of certain passages. I mean, the whole not being in the law thing, no longer under a covenant of yes. works, and now in Christ means that when God pulls up our record, it says dead. You died. 2000 so the record comes the cross, up, there's your deed, like and yeah, there's a big red stamp that says paid for. It says, dude, you're dead. You're a dead guy in jail. Jail's got no more on you, you know? And, and this is the thing. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, you know, there he is. He's still got a little it's bit. It's like that movie. Double jeopardy. Yeah. Well, well the debt has been paid in full. The debt, there is the debt. It's paid. So yeah. why are you bringing up my debts, Nick? Why yeah. are you freaking me out? <laughs> my debts are gone. Yeah. Like, which one is it? Well, and, and you God know, gets the glory for your debt forgiven. It's not about you and your debt. It's about God having forgiven the debt. That's, that's the point I was trying to make. So it's, it's a God, it's a day of God's vindication. It's not going to be a day of us being paraded naked and in shame. It's us, go, it's us going to be the trophies of God's grace yeah. and, and the work of Christ sufficient to cover all that we are and all that we've done, even post justification. Um, yeah. That's why we still pray for forgiveness of sin, not for the uh, justifying of ourselves, but for the renewing of the relationship. Sin, God still hates sin in the Christian. It's still there. He still sees it. It's still a reality. It's, he still disciplines us on the basis of it. And it's still going to feature in the judgment. It's not, it's not a nothing. So that's that's how I understand. I was it. with you one hundred percent on that last one. Yeah, me too. But then, this is, uh, yeah, maybe give it some thought then. Yeah, and you know, on that, let's also say that this is quite a general discussion, but it's highlighting a few certain a few, a few areas that I'd like to go into some more when we actually look at the text. Um, obviously, we haven't done much of that uh, in this, but I've um, read a few Bible verses, uh, Mike. Yeah, you know, I, 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 brought, I, I brought my Bible with me. <laughs> well, you know. To, <laughs> That's not going to cover it, is what I'm saying. We need to look more deeply. I see a lot of time. books behind you, Mike, but I don't see any Bibles. No, no Bibles there. Just um, <laughs> this is my uh, heresy section. Um, so the uh, what, what what you know you mentioned, for example, uh, in Romans, the 
judgment according to works, the classic one that's often used there. Um, Vandruna makes a great case as well. And you mentioned, Andre, that there's context um, you know, behind all these texts. And, and you know, it is true, at least worth looking at very carefully. Uh, Van Drunen, I can't remember the argument now, but but I remember reading it and going, wow, that's amazing. I hadn't seen that before in that you've got those those uh, things that are commonly used as proof texts in the confession to speak about some sort of judgment according to works at the end, actually not applying to uh, what Paul has in mind by way of the covenant of grace at all. So we'll go back to that. We'll try and figure, figure out if that has any uh, standing or merit to it. Uh, Wrong word, not merit. Um, just, <laughs> just if it's good or not, and um, and and then we'll try and work it through. But um, you know, hopefully that. I mean, it's it's interesting how complicated it gets, even for us, right? Here we are, more or less, all on the yeah. same page, and yet still. Yeah, let's of- say it might be worth just saying that actually the one thing we do all agree on is that on the day of judgment, your assurance rests entirely upon your union Amen. with Christ through faith alone. There is and no, you, yeah. there is no sense in which any of us are saying any of your works play any factor yeah. in terms of whether or not you are going to spend eternal life with God in the new heavens and the new earth, or whether or not you're going to eternal hell. Like yeah. Your works beyond not, probation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, there, there is no sense in that, and so the idea of even if we talk about our works being there to vindicate God's justification of us. That is not a factor in the the final decision. That is a that is a a factor kind of post the, the decisions happened, and that's just showing it was a good decision. Like that, that's um, there's nothing there's nothing in there that's that's caught or, or affecting the outcome of judgment for us. Um, yeah. The the matter that we're we're discussing and the nuances and because this is slightly more veiled in the scriptures is what happens to the Christian final judgment apart from that salvific judgment? You know, is yeah. there some sort of grading of our works for merit? Is there a sense in which our Rewards, sins, not merit. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, great, yeah, Let's just yeah, stay right yeah, away from great, that word, merit. Yeah, just no merit, forget yeah. it. Um, so that, <clears throat> is there some sort of grading of our deeds for reward or is there some sense of displaying our sins for uh, the purpose of displaying grace that these are forgiven and dealt with um, uh, or or even some need to give an account like that's all very much secondary and apart from the first thing so just just to highlight and underline that yeah yeah that's great all right um, we'll come back to that I definitely want to talk more about what climb held to there I mean that's uh that's something that fascinates me and just at least to see what his angle is and um, and again hopefully we'll come back and hit some more specifics on this issue so Thanks for the question. That was, uh, and thanks for, for doing this, guys. Appreciate it. Let's play out because uh, Zoom's going to kick me off this dang meeting. Uh, here we go.